Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. girls, children of all ages, I got to tell you, I got to tell you right now, I look handsome. I mean, seriously, you know what? Between this testosterone program I'm on, the knee thing, I mean, I'm chasing Lee around and she, I got to tell you, isn't really running. I mean, look at all this today. You put a gold chain on me and I am Crockett, baby, from Miami Vice. That's right. The shaved head, the little bit of face, the black shirt. Holy cow. I just looked at myself and Oh, I look marvelous. Hey, by the way, who do you want? Let me ask you a very simple question. Who do you want to replace Shannon Sharp versus Skip? Who do you want? Uh, Undisputed is looking for a new host. Shannon Sharp is out. Now, we got to be on. Ain't going to be a white guy. Now, let's just be honest. It is not going to be a white guy. So which African-American or Asian or I don't know. Uh, I'm not well-versed in, uh, you're not going to be a Serbian. Let's put it that way. So who, <laughs> who would you like as the new host? I honestly don't have an opinion on it. I don't. I don't really have an opinion on it. Like all the cowards, the men at ESPN, you can't move any of them over because nobody's going to watch them. Bomani Jones, you're not going to watch. Uh, I don't know. Jimmy Jackson, are you going to watch? I'm trying to think of Fox guys that have any, you know, would be interesting. I just don't see it. He's reached a buyout. The final start this week, Sharp will be out. I, again, I don't know. You guys know better than me, but I'm looking at it. I'm like, I'm watching a guy named Brian Custer, who is African-American dude, a horrible play-by-play guy that they moved to Tuesdays on ESPN. And I'm watching him host Greenberg show, and he's getting all kind of names wrong. You got to have somebody that can sit there and be strong, do the homework, and compete with Skip. Stephen A. Smith was the perfect foil. Sharp was good. Fine. Show did good ratings. They had a bad year. Skip did all his stupid stuff with Hamlin. Uh, and, of course, the lawsuit that Brett Favre dropped against Pat McAfee, but he's keeping against Sharp. That means McAfee has better lawyers, and I am not surprised by that. But who do you want? I'll go to the YouTube chat through the course of the day. I don't know. Or maybe you just want Skip standing up there by himself. Hell, Maybe that's good enough. I don't know. Does it matter to you? I don't know, but I do know this. Shannon Sharp made a jerk of himself a number of times. You don't sit on the sidelines of an NBA game and get in a fight with a whole team or dads or anything else. You just don't. You don't not show up for work because you're mad about a tweet from a coworker. Look, Shannon Sharp, great player, and I like the show. And, he, you know, he's a colleague. I'm not ripping him. I'm just saying it was a bad year for him. It was a very, very, very bad year for Shannon Sharp. You don't just say, well, I don't like his tweet, so I'm not showing up. Okay, I guess you do. I guess you do. But I, I really don't. Uh, it's just not my thing. It, it's not. All right. Who do you want? We'll go. We'll ask. We'll find out. Hey, let's put it on a Twitter poll. Do you want, who would be, who would be from uh, uh, Fox 
that would be in there. I, I don't know. Uh, it's got to be African-American. You're not hiring a white guy. I just, uh, it was funny, yesterday, NBC, they're looking for a basketball analyst, and they wanted to talk to me, and I go, all right, well, you know, how are we hiring here, kids? Because <laughs> I know the deal. I mean, I'm no dummy. I said, do yourself a favor, hire Robbie Hummel and hire African-American. That's what you got to do. I mean, I'm no dummy. I talk to my agent. My agent's always like, hey, you know any, you know any great, you know, African-American or Asian, you know, broadcast? I talk to them all the time about it. I know we're not allowed to say it, but why not? I mean, we all know the deal, and it's not a bad deal. I care less. But that's the world that we live in. So Shannon Sharp uh, is leaving with Skip Bayless, and they're going to have to find it out. And we'll see what's happening. We shall. We got Nikolai Yo. Ah, shut up. We got Nikolai Jokic not on Stephen A. Smith's list. Hey, how about this? We got Springsteen falling. Springsteen, baby, you're 172 years old. We know you hate America. We know that every single dorky-ass media reporter, writer says, I love Springsteen because in the world, and, and, and uh, politician, because those guys are America's biggest dorks. Like, look at a picture of my friend Greg Doyle on Twitter and tell me, oh, man, I love Springsteen, because it makes dorks seem cool. Every writer, every politician will tell you we love Springsteen. Springsteen hates this country. Mellencamp hates this country. We just know that. But Springsteen fell on stage, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see what happens here. What's going on with Springsteen? Down goes Springsteen. Down he goes. And he got up, and I'm sure it was a good show. But again, hates America and every little dorky white media guy. Oh, man, I love Springsteen. See, white media loves Springsteen to be cool. Black media loves the NBA to be cool. Mark Spears, oh, man, Mark Spears. I'll never forget. I'll never forget Stephen A. Smith walking around the NBA finals or the NBA. Yeah, I think it was the finals. No, it was the Eastern Conference finals. Heat Pacers like this, like he's evaluating. Couldn't tell you if a basketball is stuffed or blown up. But hey, I digress. All right, Al Pacino, I'm 60. I don't want no babies. Hey, look, I don't want no babies. Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, remember last year we we talked about De Niro? We did. We talked about De Niro. And well, he had a he's having kids. And now Pacino 83 years old, he's stripping a 29-year-old. Could you imagine, like, 83 years old and some fresh-faced 29-year-old, she's got to go, it's like that reporter. Like, you just got to, that's what I think. How about being under this guy? Seriously. Hey, you're looking good. Uh Uh-uh, he don't even look good for an 82-year-old. The hair glorious, but we got to do something with the Tony LaRusso look. But the truth of the matter is, oh, yeah, give it to me, baby. (laughs) Seriously. Women out there, you know what I'm saying. Look at that. Yeah, I want that climbing all over me. Yeah, yeah. The 29-year-old loves him for, oh, I don't know, for what? And now she has a baby, and now she's going to be set for life because I want this climbing all over. Well, he's really smart. He's really funny. Yeah, he's really going to be dead in a few years, and you're going to make a ton of money. <laughs> you're not tricking me. You're not fooling me, Spring or uh, Pacino, De Niro, and you little 20-something-year-olds. Oh, yeah, I got to have me some of that right there. 
Like a hot 29-year-old walking on a beach in a string bikini has got to have some of that. Oh, yeah, give me a little bit of that. Ho-ho-ho. <laughs> Urban's going to join us today. Uh, Bob Rathburn, who is a TV uh, voice of the Atlanta Hawks, he came on our show about a month and a half ago, and he said, look, it's over. In the West, it's going to be the Nuggets, and it ain't going to be close. We've got the audio, so we got to bring Bobby back. I mean, look, we inspire and want greatness on this show, and when Bob Rathburn came on and gave us unadulterated greatness, are you kidding me? we got to have the man back. Yeah, we do. So those are our two guests today. It'll be glorious, but I am on one. Look at this Dukes of Hazard car flip here. Check this bad boy out. Like, what are people doing? The world is insane, and I am here for it. All right. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Holy cow. Hey, I'm going to I promise you that person was on their phone. Oh, man. Look at that. You know the dude's on his phone. You know he's on his phone. You know he's being a jerk and he doesn't see it. I got to tell you, this leads me into me being an American hero. Lee and I are in the backseat of an Uber going from the airport in Fort Myers uh, to where we're staying. And all of a sudden, a SUV in front of us flips over and goes into the ditch. The driver's going to go. I go, no, stop the car. I go running out into the ditch, help pull the guy out. He's an illegal alien, didn't speak English, wanted no part of the police coming. But, hey, I didn't know if the thing was going to blow up. Lee's yelling at me, what are you doing? I go, I'm an American hero. I must serve. I did. It was the weirdest thing ever. Imagine you're just in the backseat of the car. You're trying to get a little, you know, got a driver up there. You want to get a little something kinky going in the backseat. And all of a sudden, the car in front of you flips. Like, what are we doing? What, 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 what? Driver like, eh. I'm like, no, eh, let's go. It's American hero. I wonder how many lives I've saved. Uh, Dave Pointnoy hired Mitzi back. Good for him. Good for him. Penn, the company that owns Barstool Sports, uh, fired him for singing rap lyrics. And the deal is this. I text Portnoy because I really like Dave Portnoy. He stopped texting me back. I don't know if uh, I angered him or not, but life goes on. But anyway, it's a great move by Portnoy. Mitzi, I don't know him. I don't know the whole, you know, thing about Barstool other than Big Cat and I are friends, and I'm very happy for Big Cat as he had another kid about a month ago. But the truth of the matter is uh, Mitzi got fired for singing rap lyrics that, of course, included the N-word. He sang it Ron Burgundy style. Penn fired him, and good for Portnoy for hiring back. That's good news. That's real. See, I believe in fairness. Now, here's the deal. Now, obviously, there's no backlash on this with Portnoy because everybody knows that this Mitzi guy, one, apparently is a really good guy, and two, Mints, I guess, and two, uh, you know what? People really don't care. We want to get outraged for a minute, and then we go away to some other outrage, and we forget. I guarantee you a lot of people say, what was that Mincy guy for? The hell were we mad at him? I can't remember. I don't understand this. This is childish. This is juvenile, and it's beneath Jalen Brunson. But Jalen Brunson tells his Knicks teammate, Josh Hart, that he's to delete his number after a TMI. I assume that's too much information tweet. Let's have a look at the tweet here. Yeah, he can't handle Josh uh, Hart's odd biology questions. There's no such thing as odd biology. No, bro. 
Have y'all ever tasted y'all's? Oh, my God. What are we doing? See, I like not knowing what these are. No, bro. No. Delete my number. Right. Like, you know what? I get it. Hey, look. Uh, I'm into some kink. Whatever you want to do. I'm good. Uh, when, when we were at Wisconsin a few years ago to do a Wisconsin game, the kink fest was there. Uh, it was. Look it up. You'll see kink fest. I snuck behind the curtain, walked back in the hallways, almost got shot and beaten, but that's all right. I asked some big old gal, I mean a big gal, and she had a cart full of toys and a little husband. I go, hey, man, who uses what on who? What are we doing here? Because I'm inquisitive. I want to know. But I ain't going to the breast milk. That's not for me. That's not for you. That's not for me. That's between a mother and a child. That is not for daddy. No on that with daddy, and I don't blame Jalen Brunson for saying, yo, bro, Delete, delete, delete. Uh, let's hear from uh, DeAndre Fox. DeAndre Fox chimed in on this. I'm actually not surprised you asked that question less. See, these are good friends. This I like. This I really like. See, this is good. I mean, Josh Hart is a great dude. De'Aaron Fox is a great dude. I spent a little time with him down in the Bahamas. And Jalen Brunson is a great dude. Great dude. You got to give Jalen Brunson's daddy credit, man. When he was going to massage parlors, the old rub and tug, he put the name Patrick Ewing under. Had a little arrest, but you know what? Because of, well, you know, he is now still an assistant coach in the NBA. That move actually shifted the dynamic in college basketball. Jalen Brunson was headed to Daddy Rick's uh, Temple University, where Daddy Rick was going to be an assistant. Daddy Rick liked the little rub and tug, uh, Robert Kraft style. It became a scandal. Temple couldn't hire him. So guess what? Jalen Brunson did not go to Temple. Jalen Brunson went to Villanova, and the rest, as they say, is history. Where else do you get this kind of information? You think Greeny's giving you that on a morning show? Child, please. Uh, This is just weird. I don't get it. Former Chick-fil-A boss Dave Cathy suggests white people shine black people's shoes in a resurfaced video. It ain't happening with me, bro. None of that. Uh, And I don't, none of my African, my African-American friends would love it, though. My guy Reggie Jones would be like, yeah, get down there, Dan. Yeah, it ain't happening, Reggie. All right, let's see the video. It ain't happening. I ain't paying nothing. A story that was shared with me by a dear friend who shared with me about a revival that was taking place at a church in Texas. And uh, at that revival on the front seat was an older African-American, young, uh, older African-American man, man that was sitting there. And this young man got up that uh, was there in that service and he'd been so gripped with conviction about the racism that was in that local community in a small town in Texas that he, he took a, uh, a shoe brush and he walked over to this elderly gentleman and he knelt on his knees and began to shine his shoes. And uh, tears began to flow uh, in that service. Uh, it was an attitude of, uh, of conviction. So I, I invite folks to just to, to put some words to action here. And if we need to find somebody that needs to have their shoe shine, we need to just go right on over and shine their shoes. A story that was. Yeah, that ain't happening. I will tell you this. They do say grab a towel. Jesus grab a towel and wash people's feet. But he didn't do it based on race. He did it on social economics. Yeah, I ain't doing it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's great that this Southern guy has seen Jesus because, you know, this Southern guy, uh, that ain't been his deal his whole life. Um, and I would love to hear old Kathy here behind closed doors what he really thinks. But, hey, it's a good video, but I ain't doing it. Not a chance. Uh, I'm not. Look, hey, the wash your feet economic thing, I, I, I can do that because Jesus did it. But because some uh, Southern gentleman who's found God after I'm guessing, I don't know what he's been up to his whole life. Yeah, I ain't doing it. Yeah, I ain't doing nothing what these folks say. Not a chance. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Happy Pride Month. <laughs> Why is there a whole month to who you're having sex with and there's only a day for people that gave their lives in battle? Why do we get a whole month because same-sex folks like to stoop each other? Well, that's just ignorant. No, it's what it is. Well, because they've been afraid their whole life. Yeah, I get it. Live your authentic life. We're all in on it. But why a month for that? And then why only a day for our country, July 4th? Why only a day for our veterans? Why only a day for our deceased veterans? Explain it to me. You can't. It's too stupid. It's ridiculous. There's nothing I can tell you. It is the most idiotic thing you will ever, ever see. All right. L.A. County, this is, the, this is what they did. I got in a little bit of trouble, I guess, uh, for talking about Scottsburg, Indiana, and the meth problem in the Austin-Scottsburg area, where they handed out, literally because of AIDS, I recruited a kid, Jeremy Holland, out of there. His mother was so afraid of AIDS and addiction that she wanted him desperately to go to Bowling Green. Long story. But the truth of the matter is that part of the world, Scottsburg, Austin, Indiana, uh, was given this, the same thing they're doing in L.A. Uh, well, no, that's not true. Uh, L.A. County is giving out free pipes to smoke crack, meth, opiates. That's the report. Now, I got to ask you, see, they were giving out free needles in Austin, Indiana, and in the Scottsburg area, whatever that county is. And people lost their mind because I said, hey, look, there's a lot of meth heads down there. Well, they didn't know there was. And, of course, the Indy Star lost their mind, had no idea, made up some whatever. But anyway, so now we have fallen so far that instead of saying, hey, look, this is unacceptable in a free society, this is unacceptable in our society, in a non-third world country, that L.A. County, which is, I don't know if you know this, it's a pretty big county, L.A. County has decided, no, we're going to jump right in and give you all pipes. Man, it's like you drive down the street in Indy and all you smell is weed. I'm sitting there going to myself, now, I, I've never really, I've never smoked weed. But I got to ask a question. Doesn't weed impair you? Why are you allowed to smoke and drive? At least in Indianapolis and Chicago. Chicago, you get down the street and it's just idiocy. But anyway, so L.A. County is making it easy. Here, here's a pipe. <laughs> like, I wonder, are they trying to kill people? I know the idea is, hey, look, we're trying to save you. But the fact of the matter is, who in the hell gives crack pipes to crack addicts? What government agency would ever think to do that? I'm telling you. You keep watching because I keep saying it. And when I say these kind of things, it's always right. We are living in a third world country. We are morphing into a third world country. Next time you go into the supermarket, see how many dogs are in there. Next time you go to an airport, see how many dogs are in there. Oh, my, my support dog. Shut the hell up. Uh, watch. A hotel. How many dogs are in a hotel? I mean, we're a third world country. We're Jamaica. We're, we're not quite third world. We're Jamaica. Next thing you know, people are going to be walking around barefoot in stores. Sure, you know it's coming because we're so damn afraid. Look, I am the last defense. 
but I look good. Man, seriously. Drive down the street? Ah, we're smoking weed. What's the difference between driving down the street, smoking weed, or drinking a beer? The difference is we've given in to the idiots in the weed industry. It is. That's the difference. Drunk driving kills. Yeah, I understand. I do. Uh, Robert Griffin, we don't have this. I'm jumping around here before I get to the racism of Stephen A. Smith and ESPN. Robert Griffin, no two people see the world the same way. We need to embrace that. Two people can say the same thing through their different eyes and inter- they hear the same thing and get a different feeling. The key is being able to have a conversation with the person who sees it differently than you and not judging them for them. Is that unbelievable that Robert freaking dumbass say that? So I asked him, thoughts on the slander of Sam Ponder and the attempt to silence uh, Sage Steele on ESPN. Let's have a real uncomfortable conversation. Remember that? Remember we were all going to have uncomfortable conversations. Oh, that's the guy they're going to put in there, that Acho guy. He's the guy that wanted uncomfortable conversation. You can't have an uncomfortable conversation because if you disagree with a liberal, you get called a bigot, a racist, a phobic. No such thing as an uncomfortable. Let's have an uncomfortable conversation. Let's do it, Robert Griffin. Let's have an uncomfortable conversation on why the men of ESPN don't stand with their female colleagues. Let's have that conversation. Emmanuel Acho. We need to have uncomfortable conversations with a black man. You can't. You just got to bow down and say yes, yes, yes. Or else Nancy Amore or Christine Brennan or Sarah Spain or Mike Freeman are going to call you racist. And now you got to fight for your job. We know this. As they used to say on Chicago radio, who are you crapping? Who are you crapping? You ain't crapping me with that crap. Let's have the summer of love in 2020 as we burn down cities and beat up white guys. <laughs> the, un- the summer of uncomfortable conversations. Pull this, it plays jingle bells with that BS. All right, Stephen A. Smith, either stupid, check, racist, check. Uh, for some reason, and I don't really care. Look, there are two things that I don't care about that are very popular. The opinions of The View and the opinions on Stephen A. Smith. But we've got a new guy named Nick. Nick is really good at his job. Nick gives me rundowns, and Nick has great ideas. So when Nick suggests something, I'm like, all right. Nick is young and hip, and he knows what the people want. And Stephen A. Smith is very popular. But Stephen A. Smith and The View, I'm spitting on myself. I'm ready to go today. Uh, Stephen A. Smith and The View, well, ladies and gentlemen, they are two things that I don't give a rat's ass about. The View because, uh, well, it's The View. And Stephen A. Smith because, well, he doesn't know. But he hides it well. So anyway, so Stephen A. Smith wouldn't give Jokic a max contract. That's racism or stupid. Either way. Steph Curry, LeBron James, Giannis, Luka, uh, Jason Tate. Yeah, good. But the best player out of all of them right now is my Serbian brother. Like if, if, if Stephen A. Smith, Jay Will, uh, Keyshawn Johnson can all talk about African-Americans as their brothers. White people can do the same. I've decreed it. My Serbian brother, Nikolai Jokic. He's not on there. Well, you know what? Kendrick Perkins said it best. He did. Look, if you vote for Jokic, you're a racist. That's it. And see, a guy like me or normal people may get mad, but it doesn't matter. Because I told you this before. People could get all up in arms about uh, Kendrick Perkins, right? 
But the truth of the matter is Kendrick Perkins' crew, his posse, his group, his guys, whatever the hell non-racist term friends are supposed to be called, are telling him how smart he is, how great he is. Man, that's great, man. You showed him. You showed the white, you showed the white man. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. So, look, this is great. Good for him. Hard to argue with any of these. But Nikolai Jokic has been the best player in the NBA the last three years, my Serbian brother. Everybody's afraid to say it. Everybody doesn't want to say it, blah, 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 blah. But the fact of the matter is them's the berries. Them's the facts. Them's is what's happening. So the question is, is, is Stephen A. Smith racist? Uh, or is Stephen A. Smith stupid or both? Uh, I don't know. Does, d- d- does Stephen A. Smith base this off race? Does he base it off stupid or both? I would argue both. Like, never played basketball. Never, and I, I'm not even getting into it. He's built up a great thing. And I knew his producer, a very nice young lady who ran a porn company. True story. We all, I think I've told you this before. We all got snowed in. And they told all the people that worked uh, at ESPN but lived, like, in West Hartford or Hartford or other places, hey, look, you can get a hotel room at the Doubletree. That's where I was staying. So I went down, had dinner, had started having drinks with some people. End up, everybody loved me at ESPN. All the producers, they all wanted to go out with me because it was legendary uh, when I would go to the place Cadillac Ranch. I would literally sit there, but everybody would come and I'd tell stories and we'd laugh and it was a great time because most of the talent at ESPN, or or particularly the men, are self-involved pricks. I mean, they just are, except for Seth Greenberg uh, and a few others. Steve Levy, I I can name a bunch that aren't, but most of them are. All right. So I'm like, hey, look, I'm going to Cadillac Ranch. Camera people would come, producers, whatever. It was great. Had an epic night one time with a woman, uh, and I'm not going to say her name. She was a big-time producer making out with a woman on St. Patty's Day. It was unbelievable. It was great because the woman she was making out with had two guns as tattoos in her little uh, halter-top bikini bottoms and uh, with her kids' names on the barrels. It was fantastic. Legendary nights. I would just sit there. Literally, I would sit there in the corner, not drink much, and just laugh at all the shenanigans. Occasionally, I'd go in the back and line dance because you know. But anyway, so I forget what I was talking about. But anyway, most of them are. So Stephen A. Smith's producer ran a porn company. And she's like, yeah, I got this little porn business. I go, what are you talking about? And she was very nice. And she talked very highly of Stephen A. Smith. So a lot of people at ESPN like Stephen A. Smith. Good for Stephen A. Smith. But obviously, when it comes to things like this, the race plays into it. And of course, stupid plays into it. And that's, as my uh, grandmother used to say, Dems the berries. Dems the berries. All right. Um, A female middle school monitor had sex with a teenager who hit her up for vapes. I got to tell you, this whole high school teacher sex thing is not new. I mean, look, we act like this is new. This has been going on for years. Seriously. I mean, I remember in high school, I'm not going to say the guy's name, but all the girls used to hang out in the science teacher, and there was all, and he took a girl, two guys, cases of beer, and a boat to spring break all in high school. It is what it is. It's horrible. It's ridiculous. And as a father, if any one of these cretins hit on my, uh, on my daughter, I'd have a problem. If they hit on my son, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not sure what I'd do. 
When I was a paper boy, I couldn't wait to go to the one house because there was a hot mom there. I used to wear my Andrean baseball shirt. I was like 15. But anyway, some idiot middle school monitor has sex with a middle school kid. What are we doing? Like, what are we doing in this country? Seriously, I know it's been going on for a long time, but you got to understand this. Back in the day, you may or may not get caught, I suppose. You know, but in this day, are you insane? Like, people just want to ruin their own lives. It's unbelievable. Middle school? I Now, I will say this. If a middle school teacher hit on my son, we'd have a serious problem. If my son was like 18 and in high school and the hot teacher hit on him, I really don't know. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. I know what I'm supposed to say, but I don't really know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I have respect for 18-year-olds. All right, coming out of break, we're going to play Bob Rathburn's clip. Like, this is genius. I love genius. This is genius. Like, Bob Rathburn is the voice of the Atlanta Hawks. He's been on our show twice because I love the man. The man is great. But he told us, he did, he told us that the Denver Nuggets were untouchable in the West. He was right, so we got to go back to the well. Like and subscribe to this here. You have made this the fastest growing morning YouTube show in America, according to my mother. Yeah, you have. All right, we'll be right back. I'm going to the YouTube chat to hang out in the chat for a minute or two. Let's see what's going on around here. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Keep your eye on the Nuggets. These guys are undersold. The national media, you know, they're more worried about New York and LeBron and, you know, the people they're used to Miami. They all want to go to South Beach and hang out. Nobody's paying attention to Denver. Did they take their foot off the gas the last month? Yes, because they had a huge lead. It was human nature. Not that I would have done it that way, but. I think they've recovered. They're ready to go. They got the pieces now around the Joker to make this thing work. And nobody is beating them in Denver. Not at all. You talked about Denver. Nobody is beating them in Denver. Bob Rathburn joins us on the heels of being, well, I believe a basketball, certainly NBA savant. All right. You called it. You saw it. How are they playing, and why are they so good? Dan, they've got the requisite pieces. They've got the superstar that leads the attack, and he's as unselfish as any superstar has ever been in this league. They're healthy. They've got Jamal Murray back for the first time in three seasons for the playoffs, and they are clicking on all cylinders. 
And you look at the players that they've beaten to get to the finals, Kevin Durant, LeBron, et cetera. This is a, this is a very good basketball team that, as I mentioned to you earlier, I think is undersold, but Dan, don't you want your guests to come on the show and know what they're talking about? Right? Right? That's how you get invited back. <laughs> Bob, I got to tell you, like the whole world, and you said it, the whole world talks about LeBron or the Knicks because it's New York, it's L.A., blah, 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 blah. But you're right, Denver was undersold. I want to ask you, because you go there, and the net, obviously, the Hawks go there. All right, a lot of people starting to talk about altitude. Does it matter? Does it factor into this series with Denver's home court advantage? It always factors in. And it factors in in Salt Lake City, too. When the Jazz had Stockton and Malone, altitude would catch up with you. It It's a factor. Does it over 48 minutes? Is it going to be like, are the guys gassed? I don't think so. But it does take some getting used to. And it doesn't matter if you play there once or 50 times. Uh, it still takes your breath at the start of the game. And once you get that second win, sort of get acclimated a little bit. But yes, Dan, it is a factor. And they like you to believe it is a factor. That's why they put 52, 80, or 60, whatever it is, at the foul line. So everybody's reminded of just how high up in the air you are. I remember when Josh Smith was a rookie for the Hawks. And I borrowed this, you know, old story. But I said, Josh, you're going to hear a lot about playing at altitude. You're going to hear a lot about being up here in Denver and the air is thin and it's really going to affect your breathing. I said, don't buy any of that nonsense. That's outside. We're playing in the gym. You'll be fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> First time out, he's staring at me at the table. Hey, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> hey, the great Tate's lock used to tell me, if you can't fool players, you can't be coaching. And that's exactly <laughs> right. It's outside, Josh. It's not it's not inside. You know what I don't think, people? And I don't understand this. I fell in love with ja, our Jamal Murray a few years ago uh, when I was watching a series. I don't know if he had 50, but he made, he was making ridiculous shots. He was doing 360. I mean, he was doing stuff in the playoffs uh, on the road that young guys just didn't used to do. I think Josh, or, excuse me, I think Jamal Murray is very underplayed going into this series. And, Dan, as tough as they come, too, uh, this is a guy from Kitchener, Ontario, uh, hard-driven as a young player by his father. And I'm talking when he's like seven, eight years old. You know, outside in those Ontario winters, uh, hardened by his dad and the training and the dedication to the sport. And, of course, once we saw him at Kentucky, we had an idea of how good he was going to be. But this guy has overcome a major knee surgery. He was out 18 months and made it back and looks as good as he's ever looked. Uh, and he's on top of his game. I think that's the impressive part is that he has come up big when they've mattered the most these games and these playoffs. And I think it's just another reason why Denver is so hard to beat. You know, Miami, they're going to they're gonna struggle uh, matching up with Denver. This is unlike any team they've played so far because – Jokic orchestrating at seven feet tall at the top is going to pull Bam away from the basket. And then you've got to be aware of all those cutters and all the passing and all the things that Jokic can do at the top. And if nothing's there, he'll just take it to the basket or shoot a three. So 
They're very hard to cover. Murray, I think, is going to have a very big series. That's why I like Denver so much. You know, what are your thoughts on the on – the, uh, I've said this, and this is a bias, okay? Look, I love the Heat. Spolster's great. Jimmy, Jimmy's great. But I will say this. There are certain guys that add to a team in a weird way, and people think Duncan Robinson just adds to the team by making shots. I watched Duncan Robinson. He's, he's my son's best friend. They, they room together in college, all that stuff. But he always makes the right play. He just always makes the right pass. The right Now, he may turn it over once in a great while, but Tyler Hero, 20 points a game, they were an eight seed. No Duncan Robinson. Now Duncan Robinson. They're a one seed. That's how they're playing right now, Bob. I think it's a big shift. I think you're right. And it's the, there really is something, Dan, to the Heat culture. Uh, they take these guys and, uh, you know, the, I think the undrafted player uh, aspect is, is oversold. These guys are established pros by now. They've been in a lot of big games. But these guys uh, fit into the system, as Spo will tell you. We're not for everybody. Uh, there are a lot of players that could not stand up to this kind of scrutiny in terms of, are you in shape? You know, what's your body fat? That would knock you and I out, like, right away. Uh, I mean, it's right? Uh, there's just something about the fact that they have this mentality that you cannot puncture. Um, and I think it goes back to to Pat, obviously, and I go back to the days of LeBron being in Miami. Uh, he wanted Spolstra fired and marched into Pat's office to tell him to do it. And Pat Riley marched him right out and said, don't you ever come back into this office asking to replace a coach. So the players know they can't do an end run around Spo to get to Pat they can't do an end run around Pat to get to Mickey. I mean, this, this is how it is here. And either you adapt or you perish. And that's sort of the mentality you have to have. And I think Duncan Robinson, uh, you know, Tyler, um, Struess, guys like this who, you know, have had chances at other places, they kind of flourish in this kind of a system. And, and, and it's not like they do it every night. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But I think it's the mentality that they have down there that brings players like that to the front. You know, it, 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 it just seems easy. Do your job, show up, get your ass in shape, play team basketball. You know, I know it's not perfect. There have been some issues, Jimmy Butler, you know, even recently, I, I, I can't disclose, but um, – just do your freaking job. Why is that so difficult in the in the NBA or any league? I guess it's difficult everywhere. It is, Dan. And from my seat, I think it is 20 years of the AAU culture in our country in basketball that has gotten the players to this point. What can basketball do for me? Not what can I do for basketball? What can I do for my team? How can I help? Is it sitting at the end of the bench cheerleading like Adonis Haslam? Is it being a strong locker room presence? Is it uh, being a great player in practice to make the starters better? You don't see that that much anymore. And I think it's very hard. You know, when you let the inmates run the asylum, it's hard to win. And yes, they are talented. And yes, they can do some amazing things. But you still have to have that team culture. And that is why I'm so excited 
about this final, Dan, because and you can appreciate it with your basketball background. You've got two teams with two great coaches that aren't going to back down, and that's what's going to make this series so much fun to watch. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for Michael Porter Jr. Uh, coming back from injury. You mentioned Jamal Murray coming back from injury. There's some great stories here. Kyle Lowry, at one point, Kyle Lowry was like the fifth or sixth highest paid player in the NBA. He wins a championship. Yeah, I don't know if he's on his last leg, but he's a terrific story. Obviously, Gabe Vincent is a terrific story, but I want to go to Jokic. Um, I stood next to Jokic one time in my life, and I don't think people understand how big, how broad that dude is until you stand there and people can say he's awkward. Yeah, maybe so, but he's mammoth, this guy. And Dan, he's he's so selfless. Uh, he, you know, all this talk about MVP. You know, I do you does the media say that because you think you're going to get a reaction out of Jokic, like he's going to say something bad right. about Embiid or Yon? No, this okay, fine. You know, this guy wants to go back and, you know, raise his horses in Serbia. I mean, this he is dedicated to his family. He's He did not grow up in this country's basketball culture. So, therefore, you're dealing with a little different cat here. And I think it's great. I love watching him play. I don't like him, watch, uh, you know, beating our butts like he does. But, uh, man, is he is he some kind of fun to watch? The passing is spectacular. He's like uh, he's like Larry Bird and Sab- Sabonis, Arvidas Sabonis, uh, you know, kind of mixed together with the shooting and the passing for a big man. Uh, he's remarkable. Love watching him play. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought up uh, Arvidas Sabonis. Arvidas Sabonis dunked on me so hard in 1982, A83. That NBC, when they still had basketball with Enberg and those guys, they broadcast the game. We were number one in the country, and they were the world champs. He dunked on me so hard that even after NBC no longer had basketball, it was part of their highlight package. And I've always thought, I've, <laughs> I've always liked it. And I've always thought that that's who Jokic reminds me of. Maybe more ball skills because the game has changed. You know, he'll dribble it up. But playing at the high post, going back and down, making the right decision, being really skilled, he is the modern Arvidas Savonis. I don't think there's any doubt about that. We got a chance to see him play in Portland, you know, but he was at the end of his career then. But there were times, Dan, there were times, Dan, in, in those games where he would make these unbelievable passes from the post sort of like Jokic does. And I'm thinking, man, what would this guy do if he hadn't had a hundred gallons of vodka and a billion packs of cigarettes, right? I mean, this guy was unreal. (laughs) Coach Knight yelled at us after the game. We got beat. We got crushed. And he's like, you just lost to a bunch of drunk cigarette (laughs) smoking guys. Because when they ran around, I'll never forget when they ran. You know, you back in the day, and you'll remember this, when you came out on the court, you circled the court and went to your layup line. We were already out there, and when the Russians came out, or well, I, I forget, maybe they were, maybe it wasn't Russia, maybe it was whatever, I, Latvia or, or Lithuania. It was Lithuania. When they came out, Bob, they stunk. They stunk like fresh smokes, man, and... <laughs> 
Uh, Marcelonis and freaking uh, Sabo, they beat the crap out of it. And like I said, we were number one in the country. It was unbelievable. <laughs> oh, man. It's, uh, it's a different world uh, today, for sure. But this... Keep your eye on a couple of things, uh, Dan, for this series. You know, Miami has not won in Denver since November of 16. They they don't particularly match up well. They've, they've got swept this season. They've lost six in a row overall to Denver. Um, I, I This is a matchup that they're going to have problems with, and I don't care what kind of condition they heat say they're in, you know, world-class, heat shape and all that. They just went through seven grueling games that ended Monday, and they are back in Denver tonight. I, I, I really think Denver is sitting pretty for this one. I know they haven't played, and I got that, but that crowd is going to be chomping at the bit big time. Butler, to me, I don't know what you saw, but – the last two games, I didn't think Jimmy had legs. He didn't shoot the ball particularly well. He, what was I got him 17 for 49. You know, he's not a guy that plays a ton of minutes. I mean, he does in the playoffs, but, you know, in his career, he's only played 82 games in a season once, and that was his second year in the league in Chicago. So it this may be taking his toll because he's the guy to carry him. He has – He's got to score big for them to win, I think. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this one turns out, game one here tonight. Bob, it's interesting what you said. Isn't it nice to have guests on that know what the hell they're talking about? It seems simple, <laughs> Bob. It's, it seems simple. <laughs> see you, my friend. Thank you for the time. Great stuff as always. Double D, you are the best. Thanks for having me on, pal. We celebrate greatness here, Bob. You know that. We celebrate <laughs> greatness. It's what we do. And Bob Rathburn, telling you, man, he came on. Thanks, Bob. He came on and nailed it. He did. And I remember sitting there listening to him going, huh, I don't know a lot about it. Although my Serbian brother, like I have cousins, Sami Suka, you know, uh, the brothers of Jokic, I have a cousin, a bunch of cousins, actually, that are just like that. Um my, my cousin Sammy Suka lived in Cleveland, and he was a professional wrestler. He went by the name Crusher Reynolds, big old Serbian guy, face as big as mine. He's now a caddy at Firestone and Seminole, a bunch of different places. Great dude. So Sammy, after I lost a game in the MAC tournament to Miami, I came out to see him and some family members, and a bunch of Miami fans were giving me hell, which is like, all right, I kind of like it because it's the MAC. Nobody really cared about the MAC, but they all knew me. So they're giving me hell, and my cousin Sammy goes, hey, Dan, you want me to go over there and beat the hell out of the whole group? <laughs> I go, no, Sammy. And then his two buddies, one other of my cousins, Rockface. Rockface is my cousin. I'm like, hey, we'll kick their ass. I go, no, we're good, man. I didn't need a freaking, you know, bench-clearing bra in the quick and loan center or whatever, the queue or whatever it was called. But, hey, I understand it, man. Look, let's get serious here. This playoff tonight is going to be interesting, and I'm going to give you something here. If they, if the Heat decide to go to a zone, watch for Jokic in the middle of the zone. Remember I told you yesterday about how awful Missoula, or Monday, I guess, how awful Missoula was 
uh, by having Al Horford, who was very uncomfortable playing in the middle of the zone, in the middle of the zone. He never changed it. If the Heat go to that, and you can tell it's a zone, when Duncan Robinson's in, he plays on the back bottom of the zone, and he plays it high, and he kind of turns his body to the ball and looks behind him. So that's a zone. If Jokic is in the middle of the zone, I got to believe that zone's going to last about three possessions. I mean, because Jokic is comfortable anywhere. He's comfortable in the middle. He's comfortable making that shot. He's comfortable backing it down. He's comfortable having patience. He's a comfortable man in the middle of a zone, and that's not easy. I told you the story. Indiana fans remember this. Uh, Syracuse, Indiana was a one seed. Played Syracuse. Jim Beheim played the zone. Crean put Cody Zeller in the middle of the zone. Cody Zeller not comfortable in traffic. That's why he's not been a great NBA player. He's been a hanger-on NBA player as a fourth pick in the draft. Can't do it. You got to have unique people. It's a skill. There's a couple skills that people don't realize in basketball. One is the ability to block a shot. That's a skill. You can be tall, you can be long, and you can maybe block a shot when a guy turns and shoots. But the ability and the instinct and the timing to go get a blocked shot is a skill. And the other one is playing in traffic, playing in the middle of the floor. A lot of guys like a block or a block. A lot of guys like from the free throw line out, the wing. Playing in the middle of the floor is different. It just is. Al Horford can play at the middle at the top of the key and shoot threes. Al Horford can flash to the middle, hot, but he was not comfortable when it was like, where's the defense? I can't feel the defense. So watch for that as you watch this series. Because, look, let's be honest, the Heat are going to play a zone. They are. They're going to play a zone because that's kind of what they do. You know, it's part of their DNA. Yeah, they're man-to-man team. Most teams in the NBA are. Zone's hard. You got defensive three seconds. But watch what happens. Watch this as we move through this series. Jimmy Butler, hey, Jimmy Butler may be tired, and Denver is no place for tired. Now, a lot of people are going to say rust, right? Rust. Rest slash rust versus just keep playing, just keep playing. I got to tell you, in college basketball, when I had rarely uh, a great team at the end of the year, my first five years, every year, we got pretty good at the end of the year, or at least the last four. My second, we had no chance because of injury, but you wanted to keep playing. Man, you didn't want to screw it up. Like, you didn't want to screw it up by something happening off the court, by something happening in practice, by somebody being late. You'd, you'd play every day if you could when you were rocking and rolling. You would. So the whole rust thing, I don't know. I'm not sure about the NBA. I, I'm not. I, I just don't know how that goes. I'm not sure. These guys are pros. Crowd's going to be nuts, but did the crowd bother the heat the other day? Of course not. Crowd didn't bother them. But I love the NBA playoffs because I love the crowds. And Bob talked about it, man. It's not only the crowd, but it's the altitude. Mile high. 5,280 feet or whatever it is sitting right there. It's like what Iowa used to do. Iowa used to put a warm Iowa welcome in a pink locker room and soft lighting in the locker room. And then we'd beat the hell out of them when we had the better team. (laughs) You know what I mean? But Bob ain't wrong. That is a tough place to play. You see it right there, Mile High City. It's right in your face. Hey, Jimmy, remember, we're a mile up here. Yeah, you're going pretty good, but you're going to get tired here eventually. No, I'm serious. It is a fascinating, fascinating dynamic. And Bob did a hell of a job breaking it down, 
before it ever started. All right, I want to get back to something. This is starting to piss me off. And I wonder if it pisses you off too. Like we give all this money to Ukraine, right? $51 million. Listen to this. So Chicago, the city council, which underfunds the police, doesn't have any money for schools, public schools. They're a shambles. They're a mess. No security in schools. They're giving $51, $51 million to help illegal migrants in their city. $51 million. You know what $51 million could do for a school system, the Chicago public school system? You know what $51 million could do for teachers? You know what $51 million could do for infrastructure? You know what $51 million could do if you were, oh, I don't know, funding the police so every weekend or every day in Chicago isn't a murderous riot? Do you know what $51 million could do? But instead, they're going to give it to people that come over here by choice illegally. Hey, look, give it to people. If people want to come here by choice legally, I'm cool with it. But you're going to give $51 freaking million, $51 mil, to a bunch of folks that come over here illegally? Are you insane? What is wrong with you? Like, what is wrong with our, comp- our country? Serious business. We're, we're sitting here and we do stuff because we want to appease. Honest to God. We, we, we want to appease. We want to go, oh, yeah, look at what we're doing. But how about we take care of our own freaking people? Jeez. I like this. The Pentagon ordered a Nevada Air Force base to cancel family-friendly friendly Pride Month drag show. They said it wasn't proper use of a government facility. You think? You think it wasn't proper use? Do you think? I mean, it had just crossed your mind that maybe, well, it's not the way to go about it. And lastly, I'm going to give you guys time to catch up because the pacing of me is unbelievable today. How stupid are the Detroit Pistons? How stupid, how poorly run are the Detroit Pistons? Let me ask you a question. You've got a job. You've got a great job. You're interviewing a guy that doesn't have a job, that just got fired from a job, okay? You just, you're interviewing him, all right? So here's the deal. Um... You've got leverage. Do you know the term leverage? I know the term leverage. Do you know the term leverage? I know the term leverage. It means that you need me more than I need you. The Detroit Pistons have all the leverage. What's Monty Williams going to do? I mean, what's he going to do? So what did the Detroit Pistons do? The Detroit Pistons went out and signed Monty Williams, a guy who just got fired, a guy who just, he's, I'm sure he's a great guy by all accounts. I'm sure he's a great coach, greatest coach in the history of the world, blah, 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 blah. They just gave him the highest contract in the history, in the history of the NBA coaching circles. A guy who just got fired, you got all the leverage, and you're going to give this guy six years, $78.5 million. That's what you're going to give Monty Williams because you are the Detroit Pistons. You are the dumbest franchise in America. You could not be dumber. You have decided, oh, wait, yes, we have all of the leverage, but no, uh, we're just that kind of stupid. 
That's what they are. Just that kind of stupid. Now, it's unbelievable. It, it really and truly. Look, I don't begrudge. I don't care. What do I care? It don't matter to me. None, none of it matters to me. And isn't it ironic that Arm Tellum, who is an agent, is their chief financial officer? It's awesome. I'm sorry. He's their vice chairman. So an agent giving out a blank ton of money. Oh, it's awesome. You're telling me Monty Williams, Monty Williams deserves, not, not that he doesn't deserve, I don't care whether he, you know, it doesn't matter to me whether he gets the money or not. Doesn't matter at all. But you have all of the leverage in the world, and you are so stupid and so poorly run that with all the leverage, all the leverage, it's what you got. You got all the leverage. You're going to give this guy the biggest contract ever. I've told you this before. I will tell you this again. I will not stop saying this. NBA GMs, NBA front offices are idiots. Always have been, always will be. Larry Bird did a nice job here at Indianapolis. Nice job. But you know what? He did draft Miles Plumley over Draymond Green. And I screamed about it at the time. I'm trying to see if one of my guys, George David, is still with the Detroit Pistons. Because the Detroit Pistons are idiots. Stone cold idiots. Look at all these people that they have. My God, Troy Weaver. Troy Weaver just gave a guy... Troy Weaver apparently is the general manager. Why Troy Weaver is the general manager, I have no idea. Oronde Talaferro is a scout. Jesus. All right. All right. You do you. But Tim Gergovich, oh, a legend. Everybody loves old Gerg. Anyway, it's astounding to me, absolutely astounding, that when you have the leverage, you're dumb enough to give the highest contract. Urban Meyer is going to join us. The SEC coaches are talking about the soul of college football. We'll talk to the great Urban Meyer next. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, welcome back. Uh, Urban Meyer going to join us coming up here in a minute. Yes, it is me. Yes, I know I look incredibly handsome. Yes, I look like a Serbian-Polish god. I am tan from head to toe, the black shirt. All I needed, in fact, I should have done it. I have my father's old gold chain with a little horseshoe on it. I don't know why I didn't wear it. I should have because I look fantastic today. Speaking of looking fantastic, the great Urban Meyer is going to jump on with us coming up here in a minute, but I got to talk to you about a couple of other things. Um, 
Nick Saban, and this is what I want to get into with Urban. I, I don't know the answer to this. You guys tell me the answer to this. But Nick Saban is concerned about the soul of college football. See, here's the deal. One of the things that's happening when you are coaching, when you are coaching, you guys act like you don't, but everybody does. You do, because that's how you were brought up back in the day. As we move forward into coaching, and younger coaches find less and less involvement in academics, then guess what? They, ladies and gentlemen, uh-oh, I just froze. They, ladies and gentlemen, are going to have less input on academics. It was my backside if we didn't graduate guys at Indiana. That's what I was responsible for for 10 years. The soul of college football. And it's interesting to me that most people, and I think you all would agree with this on the YouTube chat, I think you all would agree that, you know what, uh, most don't care anymore. There used to be this pride in, hey, look, we are Indiana. We graduate everybody. Yay, rock, go fight, win. There still is that pride among the school. There still is that pride among the staff. You see it all the time. The head coach or assistant coaches go to graduation. Players are in their cap and gowns, and they put them on in the media guide. You see it constantly, right? Well, the thing about it is I don't think the average fan cares anymore. I don't. I don't think the average fan gives a rats anymore. I think the average fan is simply like, hey, uh, I don't know. Just win. That's all I care about. Just freaking win. Uh, that's it. That's it. I mean, gambling influences that. Look, who in the hell wants Michael Penix to transfer? All right, I got an email or I got a text today from a friend of mine in the NFL asking me what I thought of Michael Penix uh, at Indiana. And I told him, I go, look, he was a dynamic playmaker. He was a too skinny guy, that kind of thing. But you could t- I never thought he would be the passer that he is. Okay? You never want Michael Penix to leave if you're Indiana, but damn, are you glad that he is at Washington? And do you really care if you're at Washington whether Michael Penix Graduates, did you really care that Stetson Bennett went six years and didn't graduate? I mean, does anybody really care? That's Stetson Bennett's life. You know, that's Kirby Smart's life. That's not your life. That's not my life. Used to be, man, did people take pride in that, right? Holy cow. I mean, people lost their minds on that. They went nuts on, man, look at us graduate. I was that way. I had an unbelievable pride in making sure that everybody graduated pride in making sure that, you know what, you know what, here's the deal, man. Uh, uh, we, we just, we go to class. You don't care about that anymore. Fans don't care about that. You know what fans want? Make the playoffs. Make the damn playoffs. That's it. Make the playoffs. That's what we got to do. I don't care. Then this is the same thing. Like when, when anybody ever criticizes me in my coaching, it shows, number one, they have no idea. But number two, what do they say? Well, you know, 10 years of Bowling Green, you never made the NCAA tournament because that's all that mattered. It didn't matter that we took a program that was good and made it great for a while and then had an unfortunate series of injuries. It didn't matter. The one thing that people are going to say now about coaches is, well, my team has not made – the NCAA, or excuse me, has not made the Final Four. You know that, and I know that. We all know that. So the soul of college football, uh uh-uh. 
The soul of college football. Um, you know. Did you guys get with Urban yet? Have you heard from him? Apparently, we screwed this up. And uh, what are you going to do? Dan, fans don't care if you're a loser in life. Just help us win. That's the world that we are currently living in. They don't give a rat's. And so I get it. It's hard for coaches. It is. It's very, very, very hard for coaches to live like that. They can't do it. They can't. No, they can't do it. They always look to, well, how much money did I raise? Mike Woodson said it yesterday, said it last night. He goes, you know, I sell three things. You come play in a great conference, you play at one of the great institutions in the country, and, and the NIL. That's it. You don't hear about academics, right? You don't hear about it because people don't care about it. That's not what you're selling. Now, that's basketball, and it's no different in football. I mean, if you think it's different in football, you're out of your mind. Like, it used to be we used to say, look, hey, you come to Indiana, here's the deal. You're going to graduate. That's going to be first and foremost. That's what you are going to do. Now? Please. Woodson said, hey, look, man, I sell. Come play for a great institution. We'll make you as good as you can be. And the NIL. That's it. That's it. That is what, and so people can get mad about that. I, I, I don't mind anybody getting mad about that. But a coach doesn't need to get mad about that. I think a coach needs to accept it. The great Urban Meyer, can you hear me, big boy? Uh-oh. I got you, brother. Hey, here's what I'm talking about, and I'm curious your thoughts. Uh, Nick Saban's talking about the soul of football. The Missouri coach is talking about players making more uh, than his brother-in-law. It's a doctor. Uh, my guy, Mike Woodson, said this the other day, and I'm curious your thoughts. Said it yesterday. He goes, look, here's what I sell. I sell the opportunity to play in a great conference. I sell the opportunity to play at a great institution and the NIL. I've said this. Coaches, it used to be when you and I were at Bowling Green, we're going to graduate everybody. Your ass is going to class. You blah, 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 blah. Saban complained about the soul of football, but, hey, look, I don't know if it's the soul, but it certainly has changed, has it not? Yeah, it's changed big time, but I don't want to be that old guy that's saying how bad it is because it's still incredible. You know, it's just different. You know, I, I, I tell people the story quite, uh, quite frequently about my first job. It was at Ohio State as a graduate student. Woody Hayes was still alive. Earl Bruce was the head coach, and he comes walking in, and it was back when you had a pad of paper, a number two pencil sitting there. You had nine coaches and about five GAs sitting in the back. I sat way in the back because I was a low man. But he comes in and has said this, and this I, I carry this with me for the next 38 years. He said, number one, everybody write this down. This is the culture of Ohio State. Number one is a premium place on education. Every one of your players will graduate or I'll fire your ass. Number, and he said, you better know they're, they're the study table, the teacher, the, the uh, tutors, his GPA, et cetera. If they don't graduate, I will fire you. Number two is toughness. Toughest teams always win. Toughest coaches always win. Uh, I expect you to be very demanding, very tough. If you can't handle that, you need to leave this organization now. And number three, selflessness. There's no one person, no one coach greater than this incredible university or this team. So selfless teams win. And I tried to carry that with me. Now you look, here we are in 2023. Is premium still placed on education? 
know, I don't know. You know, you have to ask that question. Is it still all about graduating and life after football? Number two, is it true that the toughest teams always win? I, you know, I still think it is. And number three, is this game all about selflessness? And you have to ask those questions. Is that really what it is? Or is it, is it the highest bidder? Is it, you know, once again, I, I, I'm not going to be that guy that's going to say how bad it is because it's actually still awesome. It's just different. See, I'm with you. I think college football is awesome. It's my favorite sport. It, it, it is. And I, my point is, I guess, um, there's no sense in complaining about it. You, as a coach, correct me if I'm wrong, you have to adjust to it. It isn't going away. You don't all of a sudden stop what was open. You can't do that. So you got to adjust. Complaining is great. It makes a headline, but it doesn't do anything because it's not going back. Well, I think that's what makes Saban, you know, obviously the, the best coach in college. You know, I, that's going back a ways, but certainly one of the top two or three coaches in the history of the game is his ability to adapt. That's always amazed me how he can lose coaches like he does and you know, that, that really hurt me. When I would lose coaches, it really – it was tough because you lost – I mean, I had some of the greatest assistant coaches of all time when they leave. And that, that, that was really hard on our program. He just adapts and adapts and adapts. You know, we uh, he, he was opposed to the spread offense uh, when we played him in 14. And then I, I find out he brings my offense coordinator in. He visits with them, and they adapt, and they change to the spread style of offense. So uh, – he, he's a very unique coach. He adapts very well. He'll adapt to this. You know, uh, it is much different. That pissed you off that he brought in your coordinator? A little bit. No, not, not really. I mean, our, <laughs> our coordinator left. It was a coach Herman who went to Texas and I later found, you know, no one told me. And I found out a few months later, maybe a year later, I said, wait a minute, what? And, uh, uh it was a year in, in uh, what we beat him in 2014 running the spread offense. And, they brought him in and uh, shared some of the things we did on offense. Yeah, it pissed you off. It pissed me off. It would have pissed me off big time. It pissed you off. I got to tell you, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I wouldn't have done it. If uh, Purdue asked me to come in after I left Indiana and went to Bowling Green and said, hey, show us your motion offense, I wouldn't have done it. I, you know, That's a different story. I know that's – but I don't think you would either. I don't. I don't think you would have come in to Michigan and said, all right, here's what we're doing at Ohio State when you left Ohio State or where at next Notre Dame and came to Bowling Green. I don't think you'd have done it. I would have. Huh? I would not have. I know. It pissed you off. I'm mad at you. How difficult would it be to be a college coach and know – as you were wide receivers coach at, at Notre Dame before you started your head coaching career, would it have been difficult or would it have been, hey, look, it's just the way of the world to coach players that were making more money than you? Oh, um, it would have been, I, I just, I'm just curious and I'm kind of watching because I'm still very involved in college football with Fox and, and I'm still tied in the university with the, uh, Coach Day at Ohio State and other colleagues across the world or across the college football world. It's just different. You know, it's, it's once again, it's, I ask the question quite often because I was grown up, I was brought up in the academic, you know, my family was very strong in academics. And at the end of the day, that was the purpose of college years ago. And, and it's different now. So 
How, how would I handle that? I don't know. I, I don't even want to even go there because, you know, you have a player that's making a lot of money and you try to, you know, get a little discipline when a guy misses class or he's not doing the right thing and, and he looks at you and says, I'm out. You know, and so I, I don't know. You know, I don't know, Dan. Those are those are tough questions that I'm glad I don't have to answer. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, you know, it, it, do you think you have uh, a son-in-law who's a young, up-and-coming coach, going to be a great head coach? He's, uh, I don't know if he's the offensive coordinator, but he's certainly the quarterback coach at, at Ohio State. Um, you and I were brought up. You, Earl Bruce, me, Bob Knight, I would have been fired if basketball players, my job for 10 years, the academic coordinator, if every guy didn't graduate, if I wasn't on top of it, it was my job. Uh, now they've taken so much of that away. Do you think that in coaching right now, there is, it, it's easier, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain why it's easier. Uh, take, take coaching now. It seems to me that the academic part, even the discipline part, is out of it for coaches. It seems to me, now I haven't coached since 2008, it seems to me that it is just simply coach your damn team, win your damn games, and at your level, get to the damn college football playoffs, the university, the athletic department will take care of all the rest. Or am I wrong about that? I think you're right to a degree, but I also think you're wrong to a degree. I think it depends on the university. You know, I think there's certain places that, um, you know, I, I'm going to brag about Ohio State. You know, academics are very important there. You have an athletic director, you have a head coach, you have academics are still very important at Ohio State. That will never change. Can I say that across the board? I think there's a lot of great places that, I'll tell you this, Dan, it's never been more important to recruit the right person because they're out. They leave. Oh. You know, if it's not going their way, they leave. And so I've talked to Coach Day. I've talked to, once again, other colleagues in the business, and they have never been more um, you know, on it as far as making sure you're bringing in the right people. Because if this is all about, can I get 20,000 more than this other school, then I'm not sure that's always the right person because I, I'm just not sure that's it. The one thing I do want to add to the purity of N uh, NIL is, I think, tremendous. I think you would agree with that. If a player is a great player, if it's Marvin Harrison Jr., and he, there's a, it's a legitimate, car dealership that wants to use him to sell cars. That's the great American way. It's called capitalism. If Marvin Harrison will help you sell cars, hire Marvin Harrison. But the residual effect is what's the problem. When you hear the word collective, you know, collective is basically a pot of money you give the players in recruiting. And, uh, for you know, uh, and that's not what the intent of NIL is. And NIL is fantastic. The residual effect has been somewhat alarming yeah i've said for years people always talk about the ncaa rule book being this thick i've always said for years the reason it's that thick is because coaches administrators have always found ways around the rules i i think when the nf nil i think you'd agree with this i think when the nil was being discussed the purity great but i think guys like you or me that had been in it for a long time understood look this is going to be abused yeah, and the problem with the NCAA, you know, everybody, I've never been that hard on the NCAA because I've been in those meetings. I've listened to them. It's a toothless, you know, they don't have subpoena power. Every time they try to, um, you know, put some kind of, you know, punishment on a school that's doing things the wrong way, they get litigated. And in recent history, they lose. And the amount of money that that organization has lost has been 
overwhelming. So the NCAA is in a tough situation. From my understanding is right now, enforcement is at a minimum, if at all. And, you know, it's easy to say, well, the NCAA is screwed up. Wait a minute. The NCAA is made up of the schools. And the fact is every time a school gets in trouble, what's the first thing they do? They, they sue the NCAA and they usually win. And so it's a, it's a tough, tough situation right now. You know, going back to the NIL, this happened at, I, I was told it happened at Indiana. The head coach, basketball coach, just called up the collective and said, hey, we need to get this kid another $100,000 for him and his people. Now, wow. I, I don't think that's, <laughs> I don't think that's what the NIL uh, was for. Do you agree? Does this, let me, let me go through programs. When you were at Florida, and Ohio State, and Utah, and Bowling Green, you changed the entire complexion of those schools for years and years and years. Florida, I'm going to say, you don't need to say, screwed it up. Ohio State, not so much, but it wouldn't hurt to beat Michigan. All right, do you think that Saban talked about the NIL, and he talked about Texas A&M, and he talked about other schools, uh, kind of tilting the playing field. Do you, do you think it tilts the playing field? Do, do you think the Ohio States, the Alabamas, those kind of schools are in, you know, are, 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 I don't know the right word, are, are at a disadvantage or are they at an advantage? I think a huge advantage. I think, uh, um, you know, imagine being a coach right now at Bowling Green where you have a great player and he, he's going to leave. You know, oh. same thing with, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say the school, but a captain, well, I can tell you, I, I played golf in this uh, veterans event the other day, and this, this great quarterback from Wake Forest left to go to Notre Dame. You know, can you imagine being in a smaller school where all of a sudden you get a great player and you invest in that player so much and he just leaves? And, you know, you can hear the argument, well, coaches do the same thing. You know, you were at Bowling Green, I was at Bowling Green, you left. So I, I, get, I, get, I get this is a tough conversation. Here, here I'm going to give you, this is just one man's very strong opinion how to solve a lot of these issues. Go back to the intent of the rule. NIL is simply about uh, capitalism. And that is, it's marketing. If you can market yourself on social media, if you can market, get rid of all collectives, there's no such thing. Get rid of all that. If someone comes to university, does a great job, and someone wants to hire them, that should be allowed. But as an inducement to get someone to your school, that is a level one violation and you're, you're, you're done, your, your school's done for the year, the player can't play, and you got to move on. To me, that's the only answer. You know, go back to what the purpose was, and that is to reward great performance, which in all sports, absolutely that should be done. If you're a gymnast, you know, you see, uh, I believe that's a gymnast uh, at LSU. I mean, I think that's incredible. That's pure capitalism. She's earned that right to do that. It's not some, uh, you know, high school, great high school player that has an agent already that's trying to get money from a collective. My family's good friend is a star pitcher at Alabama named Montana Fouts. And Montana makes a ton of money. She's been the SEC Player of the Year. She's been the, you know, uh, first-team All-American. She grew up playing with my, my stepdaughter, and she makes a ton. And it's based on that, exactly what you said. So let me ask you this. I'm, generally, I'm genuinely curious about this because I don't know the answer. How did the term collective, or how did the collectives oh. get started? How did it get started? I don't know. I, and, and I'm not saying it's all that way, but from my understanding, it's called, it's a, 
It's a fancy word for cheating. I, I don't know, Dan. I, I once again, I was removed from that. So when I hear that word, I kind of cringe right now. And I and I hear the stories behind it. They're going to go to donors and boosters and ask them for a lot of money, put them in a big pot, and then decide who gets that money based on ability level coming out of, which is, I mean, I think it's 1A of the rule of NIL. You can't do that. You know, it, it, it's and here's the other thing, Urban, at least here in Indiana, I got these idiots, they're called Hoosier hysterics, that get mad because I'm not I'm not giving money for it. I, I'm not I, I live my whole life not breaking rules and I'm not all of a sudden. But it, my point is, it isn't even underground. It, it, it's it's out there. People talk about collectives, Urban. It's not even like a secret, you know, it, it's 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 public all the time. Well, there's like it's a toothless organization right now, the NCA. They know what's going on. I mean, all you got to do is pick up the paper or talk to people in the business. And I know very closely firsthand that uh, I had a buddy that was recruiting a guy and he had it. It was over. And then all of a sudden, another school offered him $500,000. He went back to his collective and said, I need $500,000. They said, we don't have it. They lost the player. I mean, I don't, I don't know other than saying, you know, <laughs> That's not what the intent was. You know what I always wonder? I always wonder, you know, they say like 75 to 80% of lottery winners go broke, bankrupt, done. I wonder when we move forward here, these guys getting all this money. I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. When you were in college or I were in college, a little bit of money went a long way. Uh, some good, some bad. A lot of bit of money may have gone a really bad direction, pal. Uh, you know, like, I'm curious, I don't, it doesn't affect me, but I am curious about what happens, you know, 10 years down the road when that cash is dead gone. Well, that was the whole purpose of that real life Wednesdays thing. We started about, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago. And that was my concern and our concern that, you know, back when we were young coaches starting, the intent was to get a degree and a degree usually meant a career and an opportunity, a job. That changed because everybody started getting degrees and a, a bad degree was worthless. So we started doing fiscal responsibility, leadership training, uh, shadow opportunities, internship opportunities, because at the end of the day, that four year degree has got to remember the old saying, 40 years, the four years for 40 years. And now I'm not, you know, I don't know. Uh, now it's 20,000, 30,000, 100,000, maybe 500,000. And you know, as well as I do, that disappears quickly. Once you pay an agent, once you pay that, FICA person, as I had a player ask me that one time, who's FICA? You know, and so FICA, FICA takes his share, and all of a sudden that big number turns down to a small number, and you better have a degree, you better have an opportunity for a career because it's going to go away fast. I, uh, Coach Knight, myself, and Isaiah Thomas, back when Isaiah was playing and he was the head of the uh, NBA Players Union, we were just sitting, and he said something. He said 52 cents on every dollar of an NBA player's contract goes away. So 52% goes away. Now, I don't know. He, he had it all lined up, and I can't remember. Obviously, you know, agents and taxes and that FICA guy, you know. But 52%, that's a lot. And how about this, Dan? You know, you know what the marketing, the, the costs that the player pays a marketing agent? The national, what, what's expected is 20%. So 
So throw that on top of the $100,000. They get something for $100,000. They get a truck, a truck for $150,000. 20% goes a marketing person. The FICA guy shows up and takes 35, 40%. Your agent will now take another piece of that. And then, you know, where are you? So, no, FICA. Uh, and this is. You know I, who FICA? You met the I, FICA I, guy? Uh, I see him every month or every two weeks. I do see the FICA guy every. <laughs> he does. I've never really shook his hand, and I don't want to. I might punch him in the head. Uh, because I think he's a prick. But in, but, but anyway, uh, hey, uh, let me go this route with you. I think college football is awesome. Um, you and I have talked about Anthony Richardson. I want to go real quick uh, to the SEC. You know what? Uh, Alabama, new quarterback. Florida, new quarterback. What do you see just in the middle of the summer here out of the SEC? What's the future look like on the field? Oh, I just have a lot of respect for the SEC. It's different. You know, you can, I'm a Big Ten person as well, uh, but top to bottom, SEC, the strongest conference in college football. I always tell people that there's eight teams that every year wake up and think they're going to win it. The fan base and the coaching staff expected to win the national championship. There's no other conference like that. You know, the Big Ten, you maybe have two, maybe three that are even have that conversation. ACC, maybe two. The Pac 12, maybe one, maybe two. The Big 12, you know, with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, I don't, I'm not sure. So the SEC, uh, and it's a quarterback-driven sport, so that's a lot of transition at Georgia, at Alabama. You know, Tennessee's all excited about uh, Joe Milton, who won the Orange Bowl. I believe it was the Orange Bowl. Uh, he was at the team up north uh, at the Wolverines, and, and I watched him. He's a giant. So um, I just, I'm anxious like everybody. I think this is the first time in years that you don't have a clear-cut favorite in the SEC. Uh, Alabama is kind of and Georgia has kind of ran it for a little while. I think it's pretty wide open. I think there's some really good teams that uh, can get hot and go. Whenever people ask me, I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I'll let you go after this. I got to get your opinion on this. Whenever people ask me about you, I say he's the best coach. I've said this first time I watched your team work out. Some kid wide receiver named Garrig came up to me and was like, "This is awesome!" As you were totally killing guys in the weight room. Uh, and I remember telling everybody, man, this is the best. And you understand everything about the sport, the marketing of it, hiring assistants, the right assistant, all that stuff. So I got to ask you this, and this is a tough question for you to answer, but, you know, Big Ten football and Big Ten basketball has left basically ESPN. Then they've gone to Peacock. They've gone to NBC. A lot of kids, people, why ESPN isn't just, you know, initials. ESPN is the go-to. If you're on ESPN, you got it going on. Do you think from a marketing, from a recruiting standpoint, that the Big Ten leaving ESPN, uh, do you think it ha- will have any impact, positive, negative, anything? You know, I, that's a great question. I remember when I was at Utah and Kirk Herbstreet and I kind of grew up in the profession together. Him as a broadcaster, me in sports. And I never worked so hard to get ESPN game day to Salt Lake City in 2004. I mean, that was twice a week. I would call a guy named Lee Fitting. You know Lee Fitting, great guy. And ESPN, oh, yeah. because the moment you got on game day, you were legitimized. Now, you know, obviously I'm a big noon kickoff guy. So um, I think if you get on big noon kickoff, you've been legitimized. So. Once again, I'm very biased, but I think that's very legitimate. You know, ESPN has been around forever. Uh, like you said, there's not a 
athlete out there that doesn't flip that on and watch ESPN. And if your teams are never on, will that hurt? That remains to be seen, but that's a legitimate uh, conversation. I'm not sure. I, I just think money, 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 money. You know, as you know, I, I don't know, Dan. I think, you know, when you when you start seeing teams leave conferences, it that makes no sense to me. Why? Why would you know? Why would teams leave that? You know, you're you're going to tell me Texas and Texas A&M did play for a long time. That'd be like saying Alabama quit playing Auburn. Uh, the Wolverines quit playing. Ohio State, that's not going to happen. And I was with Kyle Whittingham the other day, and you tell me that I coached in that rivalry. Originally, that's one of the best rivalries in the sport. BYU, Utah. They don't play anymore. You know, how's that happen? No, and, and you know, it, it, I don't know. It's a fact, like basketball, you know, basketball has really hurt its college basketball, has really hurt itself because all the good games um, aren't played on home courts. In the, in the preseason, you don't you play in Maui or you play in the Bahamas. So Kentucky doesn't play Indiana anymore. North Carolina doesn't play Indiana. Kentucky doesn't play. It, 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 at some point, I think people have to do stuff for the sport. You know what I'm saying? I get the money aspect. We all get the money. At some point, even coaches have got to play games or in basketball anyway. I don't know about football that are good for the sport. Like you played Oklahoma, you would play Virginia Tech. You know, it's it's great for your team, and I know it gets you in the playoff, but you got to do something for the sport at some point, don't we? I think you do, and I think there's purists out there that believe that, but I think uh, slowly that's being moved. And, you know, there was yeah. a time where normally you, you saw the progression. This is way back, but usually the head football coach went to be the AD, and you had that kind of transition. And then I noticed that it became most of the athletic directors were marketing background, business background. And I get it because this has become such a, you know, the fiscal the fiscal stress on universities and athletic departments are real. I witnessed it many, many times. So um, I think there are some periods to do that. But then also you look back and say, okay, I remember on Big New Kickoff, we talked about this. Uh, when Oregon decided to play Auburn in the preseason and they lost. And if they would have played, you know, Humboldt State, they would have probably been in a national championship game. So as a coach, I remember having those conversations with our athletic directors, you know, and we always tended to play that one big game a year. And I'm glad we did because I think that's good for the sport. Yeah, no, I get it. That was my old man comment. You know, that was my old man yelling at clouds or whatever the kids call it about, you know. All right, man, what's on the agenda today? Looks like a golf shirt. Old Florida, where are we going? No, I'm at the Veterans Golf Association, Dan. I want to get you here someday. I know how much you love the veterans. My father was Army. My sister was Air Force. I've been a part of this organization now two years. It's like a Ryder Cup format. The top uh, 15 players from Army, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, and Marines, they line up and I'm playing a champion's retreat here in Augusta, Georgia, by the way. Top five experience I've ever had in golf. But more importantly, to spend two days with the uh, – to spend two days with our veterans on the Memorial Day weekend, I won't want to be anywhere else. There's uh, are we at Augusta National? No, Augusta Champions Retreat. How about this? There's three nine holes. Oh. One designed by Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, Gary Player. I, I got to get you here. <laughs> nice. I'm dying to be there, man. I, hey, I appreciate. I know you're busy as hell. That's great stuff today, as always, with you. Thanks, my friend. Love you, brother. Take care. 
That's the man right there, Urban Meyer. That was fun. That was really fun. That was good stuff. It's always good stuff with him. And I'm telling you, he is the best thing on TV. Big noon kickoff. The Urban Meyer segment is the best thing on TV in college football, pregame, halftime, and postgame show. All right, when we come back, I got a lot of thoughts on a lot of things. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real Steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I got to tell you, that was really good. No, that was really good. You get Urban Meyer to open up a little bit. Uh, it's good stuff, and he opened up big time. Right there. I got some stock up and stock down on a Thursday. Mike Malone is the head coach of the Denver Nuggets. A huge stock up. Mike Malone has not been afraid to share his opinion that, hey, look, the national media is discarding us. All the talk was about LeBron James. All the talk was about the Lakers. And I got to tell you, I ain't mad at Mike Malone. I'm not mad at Mike Malone at all. Mike Malone has come up through the ranks, whether it's Oakland University, UVA. He was a coach at Rhode Island, coached a number of different places. And he's absolutely right. Stock up to that guy. He's sitting in there and he's talking and he's doing the things that everybody uh, needs to do. It, 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 we need to have Mike Malone out there. It goes back to the days of Pat Riley, Phil Jackson, Van Gundy and the rest complaining to the referees trying to move the needle in their area. The disrespect card is real for the Denver Nuggets because, let's face it, other than Jokic and maybe Murray, most of us don't know who the hell they are. And most of us don't stay up on the East Coast to watch a late-night Denver Nuggets take on the Sacramento Kings because it's not sexy. Back in the day with David Thompson and Dan Issel and those guys, look, it was sexy. They were great, but that was back in the day. That was the ABA into the NBA, 1980, 1978, whatever. I mean, that's how far back it goes. George Carl made them interesting, but really nobody cared about Carmelo Anthony back in the day, did you? I mean, he was scoring points, and then he goes to New York, and now we talk about him. But the Denver Nuggets are fun, and I know a lot of people don't want to watch. I know a lot of people are like, well, the NBA, that kind of thing, but this is good stuff. It is impossible to watch the pregame show of ESPN. It's impossible. It is absolutely impossible to do. Impossible to watch the pregame, halftime, or postgame. So turn on two and a half men, then turn the game on, then go back to two and a half men at halftime, and then watch something after. That's what I do. Trevor Williams, you are a stud. Trevor Williams is a pitcher. Trevor Williams is a Catholic. Trevor Williams is a man that is speaking out. We talked about him yesterday, and he inspired me, and I want to tell you why. So many times we get into, in this world, black versus white, conservative versus liberal, woman versus men, but rarely do we ever get into Christian. 
versus crazy. All right? Christian is something that gets mocked, gets ridiculed, Catholic, obviously. People don't actually want to talk about any facts. It's like anything else. They just want to say, well, priests and, and altar boy. Okay, great. If that's your take, then fine. But it was so refreshing to me and so inspiring to me that Trevor Williams and a couple others, including Clayton Kershaw, stood up for Christian values, Catholic values, when the nuns of perpetual douchebaggery uh, are going to be honored at Dodger Stadium. I believe that every self-respecting Catholic should not show up at Dodger Stadium. You want to say that's cancer culture? That's fine. You say whatever you'd like. But I believe every self-respecting Catholic should not show up. You should not show up on the day when there is a group being honored on the field at a baseball game that ridicules, mocks, and blasphemes the Catholic faith. If you don't like that, that's cool. I personally believe that's exactly what every Catholic should do. In fact, I would argue every Christian should do it. I don't tell people how to live their lives. I got no interest in doing that. I just tell you what I think. And as a Catholic, there's no chance in hell that I will ever again go to Dodger Stadium. I went once. It was fine. (laughs) I've been actually twice. Went to meet my buddy Tim Belcher. When the season was over, he went recruiting with me for a day in L.A., and I was in the, dug- or in the dugout, then in the clubhouse, had a great talk with Eddie Murray, blah, 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 blah. But I digress. But I do think this. I do think that it is so many times black versus white, liberal versus conservative, all the stuff like that. This guy inspired me. Stock up. I'm going to pay a little more attention to who is and who isn't blaspheming my Catholic face. And these people are all crazy psychopaths on the Sisters of St. Mary's perpetual douchebaggery or whatever the hell they're called. But somehow, some way, the Dodgers gave in to the less than than 0.1%. Somehow, some way, these idiots that make the decision uh, for the Dodgers decided this was important. Let me ask you a question. What is so bad about having a baseball game having an occasional giveaway and leaving sex out of it. Can somebody please explain to me what in the hell is so bad about that? I will hang up and listen. I swear to God I will. I will hang up and listen. Can anybody possibly tell me, possibly tell me what is so bad about a baseball, a basketball, a hockey, a football team just providing a great game experience and worrying about the team? Why does who you are having sex with have to factor in? Tell me why. The Colts have all this pride stuff. Great. I don't care about any of it. Don't care. But when you're going to put the Sisters of Perpetual Douchebaggery on the field to mock Catholics, then you know what? I got a problem. Good for Trevor uh, Williams. Good for Clayton Kershaw. Dodgers, you can kiss my backside. That's all. Uh, Keith M. says on the YouTube chat, when did it become acceptable to honor perversion? He's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Uh, The person running the AOC parody account, if you're a man, if you're a woman, I don't care. I've never loved an account more. See, in Indianapolis... There was a uh, Captain Andrew Luck account that was just stupid. It was idiotic. It was like, oh, man, this is the greatest account ever, man. Okay, great. It was stupid. It wasn't funny. It was just stupid. 
This account, this parody account, go and follow, is hilarious. It's not kinda, sorta, maybe funny. It is freaking hilarious. Like stupid funny. Like every single day funny. Like every single word funny. And I got to tell you, if you are not following it, you are missing a good time. And this idiot right here, AOC, is mad because people can't distinguish between the parody account and her account. A Twitter account, NBC News, mocking, not mocking, why mocking? Alexa has skyrocketed followers and engagement with some help from Elon Musk. Good. Good. I had at one point, true story, I had at one point, and I think there still are, maybe there's not, 14 parody accounts. I ain't worry about it. What I worry about it for? I ain't care. What I care? It is the funniest, the best, the greatest account on Twitter. And I got to tell you, if you don't like it, that's on you. If you do like it, that's on me too. It is saying the quiet point out loud. This is an example. Printing money is the only way out of inflation. (laughs) Who needs a boyfriend when you got the government to take care of you? If you have a boyfriend at fart, immediately break up with them. What's more important, toxic masculinity or saving the planet? Oh, look at Heather Dinich on our TV. I can't wait to expose all this. I understand the common, uh, the common people and how much they suffer. Before I was a bartender, I was fired from the M&M plant for throwing out the W's. It's just good. It's just so damn good. Stock up. So I was talking to my buddy Jason Bonetti about Liam Hendricks yesterday. No, two days ago. And I'm like, hey, man, tell me about Liam Hendricks. He is the White Sox closer who is uh, back from cancer. He goes, he's like Seinfeld. He goes, he's the guy everybody's drawn to. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, he wants to know how they come up with capacity in a room. Like, how they come up with – he's an inquisitive, interesting, fun guy. Now, some White Sox players think he talks too much. Some White Sox players absolutely love him. But stock up to Liam Hendricks. Liam Hendricks rang the bell. He is back. He is back pitching for the White Sox, and I am happy about it because I, here on this show, we always encourage interesting people. So Liam Hendricks is back. The White Sox, well, I think get better. They play in the worst division in the history of baseball, the AL Central. So there you go. So there you go. I like it. I like him. I like them. I like Bonetti. I want the White Sox to win. Hey, what would the, how do you come up with capacity of a room? <laughs> oh, man, I like it. I like it a lot. Stock down. And I don't mean this to be, uh, oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't mean this to be ironic or coy or whatever, but stock down to Target. <laughs> By the way, Target stock down another 2% uh, today. Good. Good. I'm never going back to Target. Nope. 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 Target's high this in the 52 month high is 183.89 per share. Now it's 127. Good. 
Good. Well, what about all the people that work there? You should be boycotting. You should be absolutely boycotting it. You know what I mean? You should be. Uh, you should. Why not? You should absolutely be boycotting it. Uh, uh, you want to put little kids, gear, transgender stuff in front of little kids? You suck. You suck. And when you piss off Mama Bear, you really suck. No, you really, really suck. Seriously. You suck bad. So I hope your stock continues to go down. I hope you keep losing money. I hope people keep boycotting. And you know what? Maybe the smart ones of us will buy Target stock when we think it's bottomed out and make some money off of you. Because you'll come back. I don't know, though. I don't know Anheuser-Busch and Target. I assume they'll come back. Disney isn't going anywhere because when your little kid says he wants to go see Mickey Mouse, I mean, Cinderella, where else you going? It's a monopoly because uh, they've been really smart. But hey, we'll see what happens with Target and Anheuser-Busch. And at some point, I'll probably pull the trigger and make some money off them because that's what I do. I'm smart that way. Uh, The men of ESPN are chicken blank. That we know. The men of ESPN stock down. ESPN stock down. ESPN raised some transgender flag the other day, and we're all supposed to applaud. Applaud this. How about just serve the sports fans? How about do what your motto says? Serving the sports fan anytime, all the time, or whatever the hell it is. How about we do that? How about we just do that? Would that be interesting? I think so. And by the way, I see Heather Denich on here. Uh, Heather Dinich, she of the questionable past. But let me ask you a question, Heather Dinich. How come you are not defending? How come you are not standing up for Sam Ponder? How come you are not standing up for Sage Steele? I know why. Because you're gutless and you have no character. And this I know firsthand. So Heather Dinich, why not? You're in the football sisterhood. Why are you, L. Duncan, not standing up? Why are you, Nicole Briscoe? Nicole Briscoe is either racist or stupid or jealous or all three. Because if you read the Vanity Fair article, you see that Nicole Briscoe is a horrible human being. I mean, all you got to do is read it. But anyway, so why isn't Heather Dinnett? I know why Heather Dinnett is her car- ridiculous. Uh, but the others, why? Why? I don't understand. Where is Robert Griffin III? Where is Sam Acho? Where is, what's that guy? Uh, I forget. Uh, Collins, not Collinsworth. What's the guy's, Foxworth. Where's he? Where's Stephen A. Smith? Is it because it's a biracial woman and a white woman that you won't stand for them? I bet it is. I'm curious. Remember when everybody lost their mind because Maria Taylor got her little feelings hurt? Because our friend Danny McNeil in Chicago said something on a tweet. And Maria Taylor got all of her feelings hurt. Maria Taylor got sad. So what did her African-American compadres on a set do? They actually gave her flowers. In a ridiculous display of just softness and no heart, they gave her flowers because Maria was sad. Where are these guys relative to Sam Ponder? Where are these guys relative to any of them? Where are these guys? Where are they? Sam Ponder, where's Rex Ryan? Where's Randy Moss? I don't know. Is it because she's biracial? Is it because she has conservative views? Why is it that I don't see anybody standing for Ponder or Sage? Sage, obviously, biracial. Both have conservative views because both aren't idiots. 
But why is that? Where is big fat Rex Ryan with his big fat mouth? Where's Mike Greenberg, who speaks so passionately, or Dan Orvlosky, who speaks so passionately on my screen about everything? Where are these guys? Not one ESPN, male or female, has stood for these women. Not one. And in both cases, they have trailblazed big time. But Maria Taylor got sad because of a tweet. Is that racism? Is that liberalism? I don't know. I really don't know. But it's very odd to me. Joe Mazzulla, you're just dumb. Joe Mazzulla, I hope you learned. I don't want you to get fired. I hope you stay there, but you got to smarten up. Look, I love you. You shut down reporters. But if you don't know how to play against the zone, come see me. I'll get it figured out for you in about 15 minutes. And number one is putting a guy in the middle of the freaking zone that knows how to play in the middle of a zone. Now, it, when it's Joe Missoula and he doesn't have the chops of a Popovich or a Kerr or all this stuff, he's going to get criticized. I don't want to criticize Joe Missoula. I want you to be better. Don't freaking put guys that can't play in the middle of the zone in the middle of the zone. Uh, The mayor of Chicago is a man named Brandon Johnson, and I live by this code. You know I live by sack up. No good deed goes unpunished, and be careful what you wish for. I remember people saying when Brandon Johnson was named the new uh, mayor, or elected, I suppose, the new mayor of Chicago, Brandon Johnson was going to be worse, worse than what the previous mayor was. And I thought to myself, this cannot be. This cannot be. Nobody is worse. No. No, no, no. No, 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 no. No. Uh-uh. This guy is worse. This guy is a stone idiot. I mean, I don't give a damn if you're white, black. You're an idiot if you think in the south side of Chicago putting peacekeepers on the streets is going to make any difference. You're an idiot if you incite violence against the police. You're an idiot If a month ago you said it's okay and it is the system's fault for kids running rampant and destroying the bean in other areas of the Chicago area. No, you're an idiot. And frankly, you shouldn't have the job. Don't know how you got the job. The only way you got the job has to be some kind of political machine because early into your thing, Chicago has gotten worse. Now, people can get mad at Jason McIntyre all they want, but if you got mad at Jason McIntyre for comparing Chicago to uh, Afghanistan in a war zone, you're out of your mind. You just haven't been there. You haven't paid attention. I have. I'm from that area. I've paid attention my whole life. I grew up as a kid fearful of everything, and one of the things was crime. So in the Chicago, Gary, Maryville, Hammond, East Chicago area, Maryville, I blew to be, I was scared and I followed it, and I still do. And this guy is a fool. And those of you that voted for him probably voted for Biden because you are a fool too. All right. What a great show today. God, I'm feeling good. Woke adult me. Woke adult me, please. I can do this show for six hours today. In the future, everyone will drink Bugs Light and be happy, boy. I got to tell you, there's a few things I'm not doing. I'm not paying reparations. Not happening. Not. I'll go to jail and I ain't eating or drinking Bugs. I don't give a damn what some purple hair fat ass says. I am not eating or drinking bugs. I don't give a damn what some idiot politician, uh, Eric Adams in New York City thinks. I don't care. I am not eating or drinking bugs. Bugs Light's pretty funny. Seriously, I want you to think about this. Is there any other show in America like this? We just say what the hell everybody's thinking. It's pretty good. All right, give me another one. Oh, man. I don't even know what this means. 
But I see two idiots. I see two idiots, a match, and I see, I don't even know what I'm seeing here. But I ain't mad at it. I ain't mad at it at all. Not even a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) I have no idea. Hey, uh, last thing, coming up at 1130, uh, it's going to be me and Kate, uh, Kent Sterling, we're going to be live on YouTube. We'll continue some conversations, but hey, at 1130, uh, Two Big Brains is back, and we are going to be live. So go to Two Big Brains on YouTube. We'll be over there chatting, and then keep it right here, man. At noon, you got Clay, and then at 3 Eastern, you, of course, have Hot Mike. Chad and Jonathan are kicking ass. This whole network is rocking and rolling. I don't care if nobody's watching or if everybody's watching. This show was a blast. Nick, Dylan, Ryan, you guys are awesome. Tomorrow, we're going to get into all these women's issues. Oh, that's Joe lighting a Hunter crack pipe. I'm sorry. Thanks, thanks, Nick. All right. Three, I was just going to give you my phone number. We'll see you tomorrow.